Today we arrive to Lord's Day 12 of the Heidelberg Catechism, question and answer 31 and 32. And again, we are in the section of the Catechism that is explaining the articles of the Apostles' Creed, and so it is now focusing on the second main section of the Creed concerning Jesus Christ. So let's read this responsibly together. Question 31. Why is he called Christ, meaning anointed? Because he has been ordained by God the Father and has been anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our chief prophet and teacher, who fully reveals to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our deliverance. Our only high priest, who has delivered us by the one sacrifice of his body and who continually intercedes for us before the Father, and our eternal King, who governs us by His Word and Spirit, and who guards us and keeps us in the deliverance He has won for us. But why are you called a Christian? Because by faith I am a member of Christ, and so I share in His anointing. I am anointed to confess His name, to present myself to Him as a living sacrifice of thanks, to strive with a free conscience against sin and the devil in this life, and afterward to reign with Christ over creation for eternity. Amen. We have heard the Word of God. We have heard it summarized. Let's ask now for the Holy Spirit to illuminate it to our hearts. Gracious Holy Father, We have assembled once again on this Lord's Day, and we have heard the the divine truths of Holy Scripture confessed as it has been passed down to us throughout the generations of the church. Propagate this truth through us, through our lips and our lives, and write it upon our hearts as we now open our hearts to receive this word through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. One of the early battles of the American Revolution was the Battle of Bunker Hill in Boston. And at this point in uh, in this conflict, the Americans were basically still just a group of very motivated militiamen. There was barely a professional army at all. And this very large group of basically farmers and tradespeople and craftsmen had come up against an enormous British army and a well-trained British army. But the British had to advance three times in this battle, which was very unexpected, and they sustained over a thousand casualties, the British army did. But even with all that, the Americans still lost the battle. They didn't have the training, they didn't have the weapons that they needed, they were not equipped. Many people feel the same way about their walk with Christ in their spiritual life. They feel as though there are all kinds of things about their walk with Christ that they're just ignorant of. They don't understand all kinds of things in Scripture. They feel like they don't have the tools necessary to understand it. They deal with constant guilt about failures in their life. Or maybe it's just that the battle with sin is so wearying. It feels like our corruption is constantly advancing. It's too constant And so we feel like we've got to give up the fight. We feel like we're not equipped to live this Christian life as the Lord has commanded us. 
Tonight we learn that the reason why Jesus is called Christ and that we are called Christians is because he is the anointed one. That's what Christ means. He's the anointed one who makes us sharers in his anointing. He is anointed as our prophet, priest, and king. That's sometimes called his threefold office. The threefold office of the prophet, priest, and king. And through him, because we are participants in his anointing by faith, we are fully equipped for life in a fallen world. Whether we feel like it or not, whether our wills have been stirred up to fight the battle of sin, to look with illumination and understanding to God's word and all the rest of the problems that we face in the Christian life, whether we feel it or not, we have been equipped through the anointing of Jesus Christ. Let's see how. What does our catechism teach us from Holy Scripture? First, we are taught that we are anointed to confess his name. We are anointed to confess his name. And this anointing corresponds to his anointing as our prophet. In the Old Testament, God called and ordained prophets to teach the people of God his will, which is otherwise hidden. God's will is only revealed if he chooses for it to be revealed. And that is why he raised up prophets. They were God's mouthpieces. And they're depicted in scriptures being summoned up into the council chambers of God, where God, through visions and other sacred encounters with uh, this divine council, reveals his word to the prophets. And they are sent then to bring understanding to God's people in their ignorance of God's will. Moses was just such a prophet. And as we read in Deuteronomy uh, 18, that is, He says that the Lord would one day raise up a prophet like him. That he's just the beginning of a pattern. And that pattern is fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our chief prophet and teacher, who fully reveals to us the secret counsel and will of God concerning our deliverance. That prediction from Moses is specifically quoted in the New Testament as being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 7, there's other places still that say when Moses said there'd be a prophet like me and you shall listen to him, it was speaking about the chief prophet, Jesus Christ. He has been ordained by God the Father and anointed with the Holy Spirit to be our prophet. Now, the prophets of both the Old Testament and the New Testament were truly sent from God to teach his ways. But only Jesus Christ is himself the word of the Father. He's not just receiving a word from the Lord. He is the word made flesh who has come down now to dwell with us and to reveal God to us. We read in John chapter 1 verse 18, no one has ever seen God. See, God is hidden. He is hidden, and His will is hidden. No one has ever seen God, the only begotten God, who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. 
That is the role of Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of the Father, who eternally resides in the bosom of the Father at His side, has now come, and what He has done is opened up our eyes in the darkness of this world to who God is through His teaching, through His passion and His death, through His resurrection and all of His mighty works, Jesus Christ has revealed who God is. We say, what kind of God is He? We look to the cross. That's what kind of God he is. He reveals the love, the mercy, the justice of God. That is Christ's role as our prophet. And since Christ reveals the Father to you and is anointed to do this, and you share in that anointing, you are called now to confess his name. Because though we always have some kind of ignorance to God's word and his will, what we do know and what we do understand, we now speak back to God and to the world by confessing his name. Having some understanding of scripture, we ask for more. And for the power to put that understanding into action. That we would not just be mere hearers of the word, but doers also. We speak his word. We speak words of encouragement to one another. We build one another up in our holy faith. We speak words of love and exhortation to our enemies and to those who are outside of Christ. We bear witness to Christ. We've been anointed to confess his name. And because this calling comes to you only by virtue of participating in Christ's anointing, then that means that there is abundant grace. To do this. He provides the grace and the power to do what he has called you to do. He's not only called you to confess his name, he equips you to do it because you share in his anointing. Secondly, we are also, as the people of God, anointed to present ourselves as sacrifices of thanks. And this corresponds to Christ in his office as priest. As priest. The priests of the Old Covenant had come from, they had to come from the tribe of Levi through the family of Aaron, specifically. Uh, Aaron being the first priest of the Old Covenant. Once that covenant at Sinai was created and all the priesthood and everything came from it, it had to come through the line of Aaron. Those priests were raised up for the ministry of the tabernacle and later the ministry of the temple. They had particular things assigned to them as the priest, and as the priests, plural, and uh, each year a high priest in particular. They offered sacrifices. We read in Exodus 39, 10 through 24, describing the functions of these priests. Exodus 29, that is. They offered sacrifices. They also interceded for the people. And they taught God's law. You see, the prophets were given a direct word from the Lord, and so they taught God's word in that way. But the priests already had the law laid down, and now they were charged to help the people of God understand it. And in the midst of this teaching and, and uh, the, the priestly ministry of the tabernacle, they were primarily assigned to the sacrifices and to the ministry of intercession. Intercession has to do especially with approaching God on behalf of others. And the priests did this. They drew near 
before the people when they prayed and when they entered into the holy places of the sacred tent and into the temple itself. They were doing so on behalf of the people of God. When you read about their vestments and all the things that went into their sacred garments, the names of the tribes of Israel were on their breastplate. And so symbolically, they brought the people of God into the presence of God. They were intercessors. The priests were anointed with sacred oil. That's also in Exodus 29. And this oil symbolized that they were to be given a measure of the Holy Spirit to perform these sacred duties. But our Lord Jesus Christ was not anointed with the symbolic oil. He was anointed with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. He says, I have been given the Spirit without measure. Not a parting of it. You see, we read about this kind of thing in the succeeding of Elijah to Elisha. Elisha says, please give me a double portion of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I have the full measure of the Holy Spirit. I am the Word incarnate, and, and I am God Himself in the flesh. And the Holy Spirit has been poured out upon me in full measure. We read about this anointing, which is symbolized, again, not with oil, but in His baptism. And we read in the Old Testament about this anointing in Isaiah 61, when the servant of the Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Which is just the gospel, by the way. That's what what that word is there in Isaiah 61. And he is, by virtue of this anointing, our high priest. Our only high priest. Who has presented his own body as a sacrifice for us on the cross. And now, in in heaven, your ascended high priest intercedes for you forever. He knows your name, he knows your needs, and you are secure forever through the merits of his blood. What are we going to say? That Jesus has laid down his life and now submitted the merits of his blood and sacrifice in that eternal altar, and then at some point he's going to say, oh, it's not for you anymore. May it never be said about the merits of Jesus Christ and his holy sacrifice laid down on that eternal altar. But Hebrews chapter 7 tells us rather, he has no need, like those high priests, meaning the old covenant high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. He's not only the priest, he's the sacrifice. And he is your eternal intercessor in heaven. He prays for you, he pleads the merits of his blood for you forever. And so the guilt of your failures before God is atoned for. It is as if they are gone forever, as our catechism teaches us, as if you had never sinned nor been a sinner. What can you offer to God for such an act of love? Not bulls and goats, not anymore. His one sacrifice is put an end to that. All you can offer is thankfulness. You can offer yourself. 
Not as a bloody sacrifice to be offered up in smoke, but a living sacrifice of thanks. You share in your priest's anointing. And so now, as a priest of God, you lay yourself down. You offer your bodies as living sacrifice in thankfulness to him. All you can do is praise him and worship him and obey him. Those are your spiritual sacrifices. In the book of Hebrews, which is a book that deals excessively with the priesthood and with the the idea of sacrifices, in that book, the word sacrifice always refers either to the animal sacrifices that it's looking back to, or to Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Always. Except for the very last chapter, when it says this to Christians. Through him... Let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, so he's explaining what he means, that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. You offer yourself in love to God and love to your neighbor, and when these are offered through him, by sharing in his anointing, then you are doing nothing less than offering yourself as a living sacrifice to God. He has equipped you for that calling. We confess his name. We offer ourselves to him as a living sacrifice of thanks. And lastly, this evening, we learn that we are also anointed to strive and to reign. To strive and to reign. And this calling corresponds to Christ's office as our king. In the Old Testament, the kings of Israel and Judah were anointed with sacred oil, mainly for two functions. They were to fight and destroy God's enemies and the enemies of God's people, and they were to rule the people in righteousness. They were to fight and they were to rule, or they were to strive and they were to reign. Of course, precious few of the kings actually did this. (laughs) Some of them did it, but for all the wrong reasons. But Christ is the king of glory. And Psalm 24 describes him as the Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. By his death and resurrection, he has overcome every enemy that wars against your soul. And even now, through his word and his spirit... He governs his church from heaven. Sometimes he feels far away from us. This is why we always must ground ourselves in the word of God because it is through his word and his spirit that he governs and rules his church. Never allowing the devil to snatch anyone away from his hands. Brothers and sisters, Christ the King fights for you and reigns in grace for you. He's not some despot in the heavens who's just playing chess with you. You're just his pawn. He is your gracious king who has laid down his life, your prophet, your priest, your eternal king, who has won deliverance for you. He has won redemption for you. And he is always living in heaven as your king to guard you in that deliverance. Now, to share in this anointing, means, as the Catechism beautifully says, that you are anointed to strive with a free conscience 
against sin and the devil in this life, and afterward to reign with Christ over all creation for eternity. He has fought for you, and now he fights through you. As your king, you are now kings. And because he reigns, you will reign with him. That is the almost unbelievable promise of the scriptures, is that the people of God will reign with the Son over all creation. Hard to even imagine what that means. But we will reign with him over all creation, over a glorified creation. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 4, tells us what this kingly calling, this kingly anointing, is to look like for us in this present evil age. Paul says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. So Christian, take up the shield of faith and the belt of truth and the whole armor of God. Those are your spiritual weapons that have divine power to destroy strongholds. Those are the things which God has given you. The great gifts of his word and fellowship together with the saints. The truth of God's word, the helmet of salvation, the proclamation of the gospel, wherein you know you have peace with God and he's not your enemy. The devil and the world and the flesh are your enemies and he equips you to fight and afterward to reign. So brothers and sisters, when you feel unequipped, when you feel ignorant of God's word, you don't understand what it says, what it means, how you should live it out, call upon your chief prophet. He reveals the full counsel and will of God. When you are weighed down with guilt, call upon your high priest. When your sins keep advancing and you are wearied in spiritual battle, call upon your eternal king. Do not forget the name that you bear. You are Christians. You are anointed ones, prophets. You're a kingdom of priests through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious and merciful Father, we give you thanks for having established your covenant with believers and their children. For as you have told us, the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. This promise you have not only signified and sealed by holy baptism, but daily you prove by perfecting your praise to the mouths of children and so putting to shame the wise and the understanding of this world. Continue to establish your saints in this faith throughout their lives. And so give us the grace to inwardly digest the food you have given us and to instruct our children in your knowledge and fear until they have reached complete maturity. All of this we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, forever and ever. Amen.